You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, You can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I am your host, Josh Rayleigh. Hope you're doing well today. Hope you're getting outside and enjoying all that Wisconsin has to offer this summer. Uh, I haven't had a chance to get out much here lately between our move and, uh, you know, recent career changes like I've been talking about. Now, I'm hoping to get out over the next couple of weeks to do some scouting get some fishing in i really want to get out and chase some smallies but i have to admit i have no clue what i'm doing when it comes to fishing for smallmouth bass but next week i'm going to have adam kaufman on from free to prowl outdoors and from what i hear adam is a smallie slayer at least that's what uh matt strine from weathered oaks game calls tells me so i'm going to get to pick adam's brain on chasing smallies and hopefully be able to put some of what i learned from him into practice um as usual, though, here in uh, July, I am sufficiently behind on my whitetail chores. I'm behind on scouting. I'm behind on getting my cameras out. Um, but you know what? This year, I've decided I'm going to do a little less stressing and a little more enjoying this year. Um, enjoying time with the family, enjoying the process of getting things dialed in for archery season, enjoying each season for what it has rather than trying to rush through the summer to hurry up and get to fall. Now, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm jonesing for the archery opener, but uh, man, I'm on a journey to become, uh, in my opinion, a more holistic outdoorsman and enjoy kind of each season for what it has and what it offers. And hey, I think that's what this show is really all about as, uh, you know, Wisconsin sportsmen, kind of all the things that are that are ours here uh, in natural resources in the state of Wisconsin. And hey, we've got a great episode for you today. I had a chance to catch up with Mitchell Shirk. Mitch is an agronomist in Pennsylvania, and he also just happens to be the host of the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast here on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. Mitch is a great guy. He's a devoted husband and father. He loves the Lord, and uh, man, the dude eats, sleeps, and breathes whitetails. In this episode, Mitch and I just kind of have a good old BS session. We cover lots of different topics. We talk about how Mitch got into hunting. We talk about his hunting style there in PA. We talk about podcasting and how his podcast came to be. And we get the short version of the story of how Mitch was able to capitalize on a 170-inch Pennsylvania slammer 
on a small property. Now that's not a deer that you typically hear about coming out of PA, but uh, man, he was able to do it on like half an acre of woods or something like that. So not a lot of room, but it's a great episode. If you haven't already, check out the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast. If you're, if you're subscribed to the Sportsman's Empire podcast network, then it should be popping up in your feed already. Uh, Mitch focuses on PA, but a lot of his content is relevant outside of Pennsylvania. And uh, yes, yeah, just a great show and he's a good dude. So go show him your support. A few housekeeping items before we get into the meat of the episode. First of all, please be sure to go and leave this podcast a five-star review wherever it is you download your podcast. Helps us out a ton. Follow along with us on Instagram so you can see all that we are doing. We've got a lot of big uh, exciting things on the docket for this fall. Looks like I'm going to be hunting at least four different states, which will be the most states I've ever covered before and a fall. And uh, man, the big news is I'm going to be able to take two full weeks off for the rut here in Wisconsin. So pretty stoked about that. I've never taken a hunting trip that is that long before, but with career path changes and my wife's generosity and my father-in-law being an absolute saint uh, and being willing to come and help out with the kids for those two weeks, it's going to be a pretty special fall. So looking forward to that. If you want to keep up with it, find us on social. I definitely couldn't do any of this without uh, my family prioritizing this time for me. And uh, I couldn't do it all without the partners of this show. We have some really great brands who make awesome products, brands that uh, even if they weren't partners of the show, I'd be using their stuff anyway. First up, Tacticam, the title sponsor of this show, the first partner to come on board with us here at the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. They have point of view action cameras made by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. Their 5.0 and 5.0 wide cameras work absolutely flawlessly. They're tough, they're rugged. If you've used point of view cameras before, you know that they can be uh, kind of a pain. You really have to baby them a lot of times, especially when it comes to the mounting solutions that are available for them. I've had other cameras come off my gun without knowing it multiple times. Uh, which is really annoying when you have to go through and sort through a cornfield, try to find your camera. Tacticam is making gear that is rugged and dependable. You can find out more www.tacticam.com or revealcellcam.com. Next up, Huntworth. They make great camo and everyday gear. I'm using their Tarnin pattern and have found it to blend in pretty much anywhere uh, I go, which is going to be great for me this year as I'm hunting Wisconsin, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, potentially Illinois if I can get done in Wisconsin early enough and start to swing back through um, during my trip there. And I have full confidence that this tarnin is going to blend in no matter where I am. Uh, Huntworth's garments are really comfortable as well. They're super durable. And uh, man, they're a fraction of the cost of some of the other camo lines out there. Uh, you can see their full product line on huntworthgear.com. And then finally, Deer Lab. I absolutely love running trail cameras during the summer. I love building up that data. I'm not so sure how much uh, how much value I really get out of those summer trail cam picks. It seems like the fall trail cam picks are actually a lot more important, but um, I do love to get that data. And Deer Lab helps me keep all of my photos organized in one place. They're all stored right there on the Deer Lab website. So no need to clutter up your computer with all those photos. You can actually create profiles to track individual bucks. You can filter images, you can tag photos. You can even create heat maps on your property to help you put a plan together this fall for whatever buck it is that you are chasing. So go check them out, DeerLab.com. You can get a 30-day free trial, and once you're ready to purchase, use the code WISCONSIN, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. That's it for housekeeping. Big thanks to our partners. Now I'm going to ask you, please go and show your support to the brands that support this show. Now let's jump into the episode with Mitch Shirk of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. 
Joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Mitch Shirk from the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Thanks for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. Oh, man. Thank you for making the time and coming on here. Um, man, this is a this is a really cool network of guys that we've got here at the Sportsman's Empire. And so getting to talk with folks like you, getting to talk with folks from uh, the Ohio Podcast, Missouri Woods and Water, like just a great group of guys. So I really, really do appreciate you having, um, you know, taking the time to kind of come on and share a bit about you. And I want to hear more about your podcast here in just a bit. But, uh, you know, for some of the Wisconsin sportsmen listeners who maybe aren't tuning in to the, the Pennsylvania podcast, uh, why don't you tell me a bit about Mitch? What do you do? Yeah, so a bit about Mitch. I am a row crop agronomist for a private consulting company in southeast Pennsylvania. You just used, go, you just used too many big words for me. Too many I, big I, words. Yeah, too many okay. big words. The, the simple words, I drive all over the state and I look at plants. That's what I do. I look at farm fields and tell farmers what to do. That's the nice. easy way to put it. Nice. Um, nice. But no, we have about, uh, I don't know how many clients we have. I have a, um, maybe two dozen clients I work with and a couple other employees that between like two or three of us, we cover uh, about 17,000 acres of corn, soybeans, wheat, um, a couple other small grains and stuff like that. Uh, so that's what I do professionally. Uh, it's a busy time of year in the springtime and then in the wintertime. Uh, but, you know, personally, I'm, I'm no different than uh, most of the people on this network. I'm, I'm probably the biggest nobody out of all of us, and I love to chase whitetails. I love to hunt in Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't do a lot of out-of-state hunting, not because I don't want to. It's just because uh, life happens, and there's a lot that I haven't got to experience in this state, or I just have a lot to offer me here that keeps me occupied throughout the fall um you know the seasons you know we're a one buck state so even if i do shoot my buck pretty early um i'm usually kept occupied with bear hunting or i just spend a lot of time with my buddies trying to get everybody else a buck because i mean it's a feat as you know to kill a mature deer and uh you know i i live vicariously through my hunting buddies when they can do it just the same so if that means i could go help them you know check cameras hang stands stuff like that uh, that that's that's equally as good for me as going out of state and trying to do it again. So yeah, just uh, really into whitetails. Um, but the uh, I've been on a kick more and more that uh, I want to spend more time in the woods chasing black bear. So uh, you know we've that, that's just kind of I guess a little intro on me. Yeah, I want to I want to hear about bear hunting in PA. So. I am uh, going to be spending a good bit of time in Georgia this year. And in a lot of the spots where I'm going to be hunting in Georgia, black bear will be uh, not a common occurrence, but, but you can find them and you can hunt them. So what does, what does black bear hunting look like? Are you guys hunting over bait or what does that look like? Yeah, Pennsylvania is one of those states that you are hunting on the merit of the animal and that alone. You can't use hounds. You can't use bait. You can't use um, artificial scents. Um, yeah, you're pretty much man against beast in the woods, and it's a it's a pretty cool feat when you can harvest a bear that way. Because I, I mean, the more I learn, people the the experienced bear hunters I talk to make it sound as though it's simple. You find food, you find bedding, and you go shoot a bear. And that's just not been my experience, man. I've I've been fortunate. I've killed two 
black bears in Pennsylvania with a rifle. Uh, we, but the way we hunt in rifle season is we get together with anywhere from 15 to 20 guys and we go into some really, really rugged stuff and we make drives. Uh, and, and the cabin that I've gone to for bear hunting, we usually average one bear a year. And it usually involves walking somewhere between eight and 12 miles and two days of hunting. And we average one a year. Uh, the years where we've had uh, bumper mass crops and we have plenty of bear in the area, um, we've killed more. And, I mean, we've had drives where seven bear came out in one drive. It's crazy. And then you get a year like, you know, the past few where our, our acorn crop has been relatively poor in those areas. If we saw a bear, we were happy. That was that was a good year we saw one. So it, it fluctuates a lot. But um, I've always hunted the same area. I've never really dove into bear hunting I, I was one of those people that i would i wouldn't consider myself a bear hunter i just go bear hunting every year and i don't really know a lot about the quarry i'm after i just know if we hunt in these types of areas it kind of habits and we're you know playing the odds game you know i've just been one of them really crap lucky people that shot two in their lifetime um you know my, my grandfather hunted 45 years before he killed the black bear in Pennsylvania. You know, I hunted two years. I hunted two years for a black bear and I killed one. You know, that that's just the the odds game. So, yeah, it's just been a, it's just been different as far as comparing it to deer hunting for me. Yeah. Man, here in Wisconsin, we've got um really good bear populations up in the northern part of the state, but it takes 8 years to draw a bear tag. Okay. In in the best in the sort of the best unit. And I'm currently on point number 3. And so buying points every year. So you don't get to hunt them a lot, but the success rate from what I understand is really, really high. Um, yeah. Now they're hunting with hounds. They're hunting them with overbait, that kind of thing. So it's kind of a fine tuned operation in the areas where they're actually uh, doing a lot of this hunting. But um, yeah, man, hey, if and, it's legal, embrace it, man. Yeah, for sure. And Georgia is going to be a whole different thing though. Cause there is, there's none of the baiting. You're just, you know, I think a lot of the guys ended up killing a beer, uh, killing a bear in Georgia uh, we're deer hunting and just happen to have a bear walk by. And so, yeah. uh, and the spots where I'm hunting are going to be bow hunting only. And so it, I really doubt I'm going to have an encounter, but maybe I will. Who, uh, who knows? You never know. We just had some season changes in Pennsylvania. It was always, um, we had a, you know, our, our rifle deer season, you know, the Pennsylvania orange army was always the Monday after Thanksgiving and our bear season was always the Monday before Thanksgiving, and it, it's it's changed, you know, over the course of the past, you know, 50 years. But, you know, for the majority of my hunting career, it's been a three-day rifle bear hunt, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And they've since changed it because uh, we've had a lot of successful things happening in our bear population that supported our, uh, season expansion. So certain units... Um, went to having an overlap of bear into our rifle deer season. We now have a week-long archery bear season. Actually, I take that back. We went to a week-long archery bear season. Now we have a week-long muzzleloader hunt in October that uh, you can also use your bow. And then two weeks after that, so three consecutive weeks, you can harvest a bear with a bow um, during our archery deer season. So it's kind of like that, um, you know, any if it's if it's uh 
anything on your tag that you buy in your in the state of Pennsylvania, it's open with a bow. Um, but it just gives way more diversity. Like the where my cabin is located that I spend some time deer hunting at, uh, we get together with a group of guys the first week, and bear is open, buck is open, and if you have a doe tag, you can shoot a doe. And we, we get together, make drives. It's it's kind of it's, – it's one of the most fun hunts I look forward to all year just because of that diversity. But anyway, I'm rambling. No, man, that that's good stuff. So how did you get into hunting then? So, you, I mean, you obviously have got a ton of experience, obviously kind of grew up doing it, so – How'd you get into hunting? Uh, family, mostly, you know, my, my family has a, you know, rich hunting heritage and every, you know, my, my dad, my uncles, my grandfathers, they all, they all hunt. Um, the joke was when I was growing up that like everybody knew I wanted to hunt cause I was a little kid and I would be, you know, having, I wanted deer pictures in my room and, you know, deer t-shirts. I, I guess I was hooked from a very young age. Um, but I, you know, I just, that, that just kind of went on until you start to get to the age where you could go hunting. I used to go with my dad and, uh, my dad is a person who, uh, he enjoys hunting, but he doesn't eat, sleep and breathe it and live it on a regular basis. Like he enjoys the fall. He enjoys it. And he's, he's a gun hunter only. And his brother, um, is like me bit by the bug loves to archery hunt loves every aspect you know if there was a season for shadows he would chase them like that you know that that's his level of hunting and uh i kind of followed in his footsteps he also owns property that he does things on to manipulate for deer hunting and he's been gracious enough to take me under his wing all these years and i got to learn and and do things like that. Now we butt heads because I'm a blockhead and you know, that that's what family does. But uh, no, that's been kind of my, my journey into it. So, you know, I was surrounded by private land, whitetail hunting. Um, but I also have a cabin in upstate Pennsylvania that I love to go in public land hunting. And while that wasn't really important to me at a younger age, the older I get, the more I love going in those big woods and hunting whitetails up there. So yeah, I guess kind of just the, my environment. And it was one of those things where certain people, it's just born into you. And I think you and a lot of people in this network are like that. Yeah, for sure. So in, in, in your area, I guess in Southern PA where you're hunting uh, on private is that a lot of ag ground what's the terrain like yeah so if you look at a map of southeast pennsylvania it's a it's ridge valley so when you like you know they always say when the glaciers came through uh it pushed these little uh blue ridge mountains so to speak and uh i'm located in one of those ridge valley systems so the property that i hunt is um is one of the those ridges and they're they're big for eastern pennsylvania i mean anybody out west would laugh at them but um for for pennsylvania it's it's a we call it a mountain and it's just an oh it's an oak hickory dominating forest and it's pretty monotonous but within a mile there's ag land that relates to it so it's 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 unique because you've got a lot of food that supports a lot of deer but then you've got a lot of cover that can make it hard to hunt them especially when you add in the fact that we have a lot of hunting pressure in our state it's down compared to what it used to be but you've got a lot of parcellation across the landscape you've got a lot of properties that are 5 10 40 50 acres and you can't like i i drive a four-wheeler on 
people's properties to soil test from September until the ground freezes for farm for farmland. You cannot drive on a single property across this state and not have a tree stand somewhere in a tree line. So like it's just there's that much hunting pressure. So when you start to isolate all those parcelated properties and then put in the mix that it supports deer, but the hunting pressure it just there's variables that just make it interesting so it it supports a good deer habitat is all i'm getting at yeah for sure so you mentioned that something about that kind of big woods hunting up north is becoming more important to you as you get older i have not quite hit that stage of my life yet uh being a recent transplant kind of recent transplant to the mm-hmm. state of wisconsin finally getting into what i consider midwestern ag ground and man, I feel like this is the holy grail of whitetail hunting. So, so what is it that draws you to, to the big woods? Because man, I, you know, I have buddies around who are, you know, every year they're heading north to deer camp and I'm like, dude, there's bigger and more deer like right down the road. Why would you, why would you do that? But it's, it's, it's something, it's like calling to them. You know what I mean? And, and it sounds like kind of the same thing with you. It's becoming more and more important to you. So what is it that keeps you going back for that? The start of it was it was an opportunity for me to spend more time with my dad and the and my family that still go to deer camp. So when I was yo- when I was younger, I I'd stay I stayed home. You know, I wanted to shoot the best buccaneer, and I still do. I mean, I I still hunt at home a lot. But my dad, as I said, he was somebody that I don't care. I am going to camp for the whole week of deer season. And the older I got. Um, I went to college um, close to where my cabin is, so that was kind of my first taste back going towards deer camp, and it was that camp atmosphere that made it fun. So then you start exploring, and then I, I started to realize, you know, there's a lot of generations of my family in this cabin, and they start talking about uh, – you know, hunting at the big swamp or hunting over on the ridge or, you know, hunting over at Ramey's Knob and all these different names that have, uh, they have meaning in our camp. And there, there's that camaraderie aspect. And I'm like, you know, it's a legacy within that and in, in those walls. And now I'm at a point where I can get to be a part of that and I can put a new meaning to that. So it was definitely not because I was at first attracted to the hunting and the hardness of the hunting and the lesser deer. It was more of a camaraderie family aspect for me. Now, since I've started to embrace it and spend more time with those guys and I start to see what the woods have to offer. Now it's like, okay, first of all, these woods are just gravitating. And number two, I want to embrace this challenge and I, I want to set a hard goal and I want to see if I can do it in this very, very difficult setting. Yeah, man. So how, do, how does your, how would you describe your hunting style then? I mean, you've obviously got a pretty diverse season. You've got pretty diverse properties that you're approaching. Are you a, you know, set up the tried and true tree stands kind of guy? Or are you uh let's manipulate the deer best we can on our property? Are you super mobile? Do you do a mix mm-hmm. of it all? Yeah, that's a loaded question. Something I'm still figuring out. Um, I, uh, I've always been with, with the private land aspect of things. I've always done things in the off season, whether that was, um, yeah, I love to plant food plots. I, I, 
food plots are fantastic. If you have private land and you don't plant food plots, you're truly missing out. I'd rather go hunt public land. That's how I feel. Um, so I've always done something, and I've had stands prepped and, and try to have you know clean access, getting in, getting out, not letting deer see you, hear you, and smell you, and having that groomed, um, well-prepared, permanent stand set up on a on a you know well uh, well-managed property. Um, I still do that and I love to do that, but I have learned that that is first of all, time consuming and a lot of work. And you, I don't want to say you can't do that in some of the, the public land places, but I don't think that's the most successful way of doing things. And I find myself when I'm hunting those big woods locations, um, I'm on the ground more than I have been. And like, I've heard other people say you want to be scouting two, three times more than you're hunting. And that, like, that sounded stupid to me growing up because I, I just, I couldn't relate to it. And now that I'm experiencing it, I can relate to it. So I'm trying to learn how and where to hunt these places. And, you know, I've, I've since gone the route that when I hunt state land, I have a saddle. I mean, uh, I borrowed one from a friend. I have an old, one of those old trophy line saddles, the neoprene ones that like when it's hot outside, it's like you're sitting in, in your a, a diaper of sweat. Um, so, so like I, I use that, but it's been nice because it is lighter and less bulky than taking a climber tree stand and going back in on some of the ridges that um, I like to try to to venture out. So it's a it's a huge evolution. It's really humbled me chasing whitetails because just about the time you think you have something pretty well figured out and you go to challenge yourself differently, it like I, I don't know. I, I just opened up to a whole new world and like my kind of like mind blown kind of deal and and how you go about things. Yeah, have you enjoyed the saddle hunting piece so far? I, I haven't had bad experience. I, actually, I lie. I did have a bad experience this fall. Now I think about it, <laughs> oh, it's no. been good. It's been it's been a great tool. Um, I'd like I want to make something more efficient and lighter than what I have. Um, eventually, I'll bite the bolt and spend the money on that. Um, on, on a better setup. But I I I'm trying to learn to be. Uh, have a have a grateful heart in what I do have and, and just take it step by step. Yeah, man, that that can be tough because, man, I don't know if you've looked at like the saddlehunter.com forum and stuff, mm-hmm. but man, it can just be a rabbit hole. And holy smokes, you can spend a ton of time and a ton of energy and a ton of money trying to find something that, that works for you. I think I've got like three different saddles at this point that um, mm-hmm. you know, only one of them I'm going to be hunting out of this fall, but I don't dare get rid of the others because just in case I figure something else out and want to go back to that other one, well, you know, I, I need to make sure it's hanging up in the garage. But so you're an agronomist, right? Yeah. Have you, there, there are obviously tons of connections between what you do and planting high quality food plots, right? Mm, absolutely. Have, have you ever thought about branching out into that field where you're saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing some habitat and land management kind of stuff, not just for yourself, but possibly for other people. Or are you feeling pretty anchored with what, what it is that you're doing? No, I, uh, it's funny you say that. So when I was younger, um, well, first of all, when I was younger, I was a blockhead and I mean, I, more things change and more they stay the same. But, um, when I was in that age trying to figure out what I wanted to do for a career, um, I wanted to be like my dad and go do a trade. And 
like both my parents were like, no, you're going to college. I'm like, what the heck am I going to college for? And the only thing I was ever interested in was private land and hunting. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go for biology. Uh, I actually wanted to go for wildlife management and had some, some smarter people guide me to, to go for a biology degree. Uh, I did that. And my mindset was always, I wanted to do something in wildlife and I wanted to do something for hunting. And I kind of closed that door for a bunch of reasons and things that happened in my life, but I just thought it wasn't in reach. And, uh, now that I've, uh, I've been working in row crops, um, I have a pretty good, you know, handle on planting food plots, relating, um, ag practices to food plots and then relating that to hunting strategy. Um, it's something that I have done a little bit of on the side, just kind of as a, as a hobby for fun friends, couple people have told, um, their friends that I did it and they called me and I've done that. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's like the, in my mind, that's the, that's the end goal. That's the dream. Uh, but it's a huge leap of faith and, uh, there's a lot of things that, um, I want to I want to go through an experience and learn first and make sure that I'm doing the right decision not just uh not just for myself and my financial wealth well-being and all that but I want to make sure that when I'm doing those things on a private land scale that I'm truly helping somebody um and I'm I'm making the right decisions cuz while um you know I've been fairly successful I want to you know, there's there's a lot I haven't experienced, and I'm not going to be somebody that claims to know everything uh, in this game because I surely don't. Yeah, man. So with with all of that, you know, you you mentioned something just a second ago. It's really funny to me how uh, in life there are those circumstances where we kind of have these dreams and these things that we would like to pursue, and we just kind of close those doors because the assumption is those things aren't possible. Right. Like the, yeah. the, or the assumption is like those, those, that, that can't be. And, and I don't know if you're like me, how old are you, Mitch? I'm 28, 28. So you're a young whippersnapper. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, so, so I'm 35 and y- you know, you look back at all these doors that you closed along the way. It's like, why did I think that was so crazy? Mm-hmm. You look around, there are people doing the things that you were thinking about doing or dreaming about doing or whatever, or you're, you're like me and you're changing shifting your career path a bit. And it's like, well, this wasn't so crazy after all. Like I closed this door on this, you know, whole piece uh, that I thought wouldn't work out. And now, now here I am circling back to it. Maybe it's just a midlife crisis. I don't know. Uh, or, or maybe this is actually what I'm supposed to be doing and, and uh, it's going to work out great. So uh, I'll have you, uh, I'll have you come back on and we can kind of update you on that. Yeah. Let's, I want to touch on uh, a question that I get a lot from people. And, you know, it's a lot of guys who who find the podcast. They either find the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast or they find the How to Hunt Deer podcast that I host. And one of the first things that people want to know when they reach out, they're like, hey, I want to talk to you about podcasting. How did you get into it? And guys want to know, what did, what did you do to start doing it? What do you need to start doing it? What kind of equipment do you use and all this stuff? Where do I start? And I've learned that everybody's story on this front is so different. Like you've got Mm -hmm. guys that set out and they're like, podcasting is what I want to do. And then you've got guys that are like, this was, you know, I got a, got a wild hair all of a sudden and thought, Oh, I'll try this out. And then you got guys who are just kind of convinced by somebody else to to try it. So how did you get into podcasting and and tell us a little bit about your, about your show? Cause you guys are cranking along. 
we're we're doing our best so yeah you want to talk about uh doors opening and doors closing in life this was one of those situations because uh i did not listen to podcasts i didn't really consume content that way and uh this was not on my radar at all however i had a friend who did and you know you know how you had mentioned about um you know, listening to Dan Johnson say, hey, I'm looking for a Wisconsin show. He did the same thing for Pennsylvania. And my buddy hears this, and he's like, we should audition for that that position. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, no, 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 they're podcasts. Like, we should do, we, sh- we should audition for the Pennsylvania-specific show. And at first I, I, I shrugged it off, but he brought it up again, and I'm like, that's interesting. You know, I'd be curious to see where that goes. So what the heck, let's try it. So we sent an audition and sure enough, Dan, Dan liked our audition and he picked us. And then we went uh, a few months into it. And then my buddy, you know, he had a change in life and he's like, Hey, um, you know, I just got things in, in personal life and work, career, family that I, I can't do this anymore. Um, I'm sorry to do this to you. And uh, I'm like, well, this was a door that just, this is one of those things in life where uh, like you could have just been walking down the street and you got struck by lightning hit by a, you know, F 15, like whatever. Like it was just a freak thing that came into my life, but it was something that I would be interested in. And I was I'm passionate about outdoors. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pursue this. I don't know what's going to happen of it. I don't know what's, where it's going to go, but I'm going to keep doing it. And it's it's been a great journey. Um, you know, one thing I try to do is I really try to be specific to our region. Um, you know, everybody's got their own uh, own skin in the game, their own interests, and uh, you know, there's there's podcasts that you know they might be the maybe you're the wisconsin sportsman but you're going to talk all things in the in the the general sense of hunting um or you you go the opposite end and that's what i try to do i I try to make it as much about pennsylvania and the northeast as possible because i'll relate this back to when we were talking about private land and food plots and stuff there is we live in the area and yeah the area the era of um information overload and as a new hunter or even as somebody who's done things their their whole life a certain way um, it can be daunting to try to put context to things that you hear and say and apply it to your hunting in your area and I was that way for a very large portion of my hunting career um, about private land. You know, do I need to be putting food plots in this way? Do I need to have them this size, this species? Um, then, okay, how do you manage certain habitat types? How do you manage certain forest types? What is going to be the best way? That, that's, that sort of thing. And... Um, I really wanted to make sure that the information that came out on my show was relevant to our area and was something that you could pull context from for Pennsylvania, not something that you see somebody do in Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska, Midwest, where you got these, you know, 180, 200 inch deer that are managed on private lands and, uh, and killed. And maybe there's aspects of that management you can take away, but the context might be different just because they've got 
50%, 60 maybe as high as 70%, less hunters and less hunting pressure there compared to Pennsylvania. There, there's, there's elements that make it different. So just the context of that, and then just kind of just embracing the the things we do have available. I mean, we've got great bear hunting. We've We've got a pretty good turkey population. We've got a really cool elk hunt that you can, it's hard to draw for, but if you draw a tag in Pennsylvania for elk, that's like a once in a lifetime mega bull that you can kill. Um, you know, good, good small game hunting. We have underrated deer hunting. We've got diverse deer hunting because of the habitat types. We've got big deer. I mean, I'd never would have believed that I'd kill 170 inch deer in my life in Pennsylvania. And, uh, 2020 I did, it was uh, it was a pinnacle whitetail. So we We've got a lot of cool things, and I want to showcase that, however possible. So whether that's state agent, uh, you know, state agencies and officials that come on our show, or uh, um, just regular Joe Schmoes that have just found their niche doing something in Pennsylvania, well, that's that's kind of how we spend our time. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best action cameras on the market for the hunter and angler. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. They also just launched the Reveal X Gen 2 cell camera that provides top-notch photo and video quality at a price point that's in reach for the everyday outdoorsman. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 5.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure that I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, www.tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps if you're a goober like me and you forget to set the correct time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can use the code Wisconsin at checkout for 20% off of any plan. That's 20% off of any plan. Just use the code Wisconsin. Now let's get back to the show. I'm not going to let you get away with this. You shot 170-inch deer in PA? I did. One okay. of them okay. uh, you, you One can, of them freak things. You you don't get to just gloss that over. I've got to I've gotta know more. Is it behind you? Where is this? <laughs> I, I see racks on the wall. I don't see, I don't see it, I don't think. So one thing I've made clear with my wife is that my prize trophies, they will go in the foyer where everybody that comes in our house will see them. So, you know, I, I've got my, uh, I think about my foyer, I, I killed a, um, a 2019 went on an elk hunt. That was like my bucket list hunt and I killed a six by six bull with my bow. So that th- shoulder mount is taking up the entire foyer. And then I, I've, I've got three other of my nicer deer heads in my foyer. So make sure everybody that comes to visit season, but I have my, my, my dandy of a, of a buck that I killed, um, in the foyer with that. But yeah, um, I, I won't, uh, I won't go into too much detail because that deer I could talk and, you know, 
way too much of your time, Josh, but uh, I moved into my house in 2019, and I moved into the outskirts of a, of a town, but it's, it's farm country, but it's the outskirts of town, and there's a lot of ag land and small wood lots and fence rows that connect stuff, and my property is an acre and a half, half of it's wooded, and it's I'm, on a, I'm built into a small side hill, so it's kind of a, a ridge that runs um, east to west, it connects ag land and a few blocks of timber behind town. And, uh, you know, the chaos of moving as you're, you're, you know, living through right now. Um, I didn't do a thing to consider hunting back there. I had, you know, a half acre of woods and I saw deer, but I didn't think much of it, but it got into like the first, second week of the season in 2019. I'll stick a camera out just cause I have one here in my garage. And the first time I pulled the card, there's this 140 inch buck, I'm guessing <laughs> 140 inch buck. And it was at like seven quarter after seven at night. I'm like, that's not far off a of daylight. That's a dandy 10 pointer. Yeah, what are the chances he come through in daylight? So I start clicking pictures through. The next morning at 8 o'clock in the morning and 10.30 in the morning, he's literally right behind my house in daylight hours. And he, he did this pattern for two weeks in late October where he showed up, and then he disappeared. And I actually saw him on the hoof uh, one morning. One day I came back from church, and it was raining. I'm like, I think I could sneak up there and hang a tree stand. Didn't I see this deer? Um, but anyway, he, he, he disappeared then and I didn't get another picture of him until Christmas day. And I saw him doe. I had shot a buck at that point in rifle season. So I was tagged out, but I saw him with a group of doe when I was late season archery hunting for a doe. And, uh, I was like, you know, I don't know what it would take to kill that deer, but I'm going to try it next year. So I came up with this plan. I did a whole bunch of work to my property. I created a food plot. I actually put a water hole in, uh, cut some trails a certain way. In the meantime, I got access onto my neighbor's property to hunt. So that gave me like two acres of woods and I got to connect some trails and just try to make it that if he was going to do something similar to the year before, if he was going to show up in daylight hours during that October time frame, you know, nothing else would have changed except what I did on my property. And hopefully that was just enough to entice him to spend enough time, pass through and come past an ambush point that I created. And, uh, I, I mean, everything I just said is what happened. Um, he showed up, um, I didn't see him all summer on a camera. I didn't see him in a bean field in the, in the neighborhood or an alfalfa field. I never laid eyes on that deer until opening weekend. He came on my camera and then three weeks later, he did the exact same pattern of showing up on my property in daylight in October. And, uh, you know, with the information I had, I went in the second time I went in, I, I shot him, uh, October 23rd. And I knew he was big. I guessed him when I had pictures. I thought he was in the 160s. And when I put a tape on him, um, the night I put a tape on him, I had a gracious hand. And I got like 174. And then I got it scored by a buddy who for, you know, more, I guess you call it more official. And he got 170 inches on the nose. So it was a, truly a deer of a lifetime. Wow. Man, that's incredible. And, that, you know, I think a lot of folks, um, especially when they're thinking about buying property or buying uh, a house or something like that with a little bit of property to hunt, maybe, man, if you just get the right acre and a half oh. or the right two acres, I got a buddy whose parents just own the right five acres in the neighborhood and they just have outstanding hunting every, mm -hmm. every single year on this little five acre piece, you know, yep. so it's just, man. So do you, uh, are prospects looking good for this fall? Do you think you think you're going to give it a shot behind the house again? And I've always got the house on my radar. I haven't seen so 
the year after I killed that deer, there was uh, the one block of timber that I know held a lot of those deer got sold. And when it got sold, I don't, I still to this day don't know who bought it, but I know that the deer patterns changed slightly. I didn't see quite as much activity, quite as much daylight. And I'm at the mercy of the neighborhood and what pressure they have. I mean, if they felt comfortable to be bedding back there in daylight, uh, then that meant they were probably going to cruise through my property during daylight. And um, last year, I didn't quite see that same movement that I did the year before. Uh, but there's still a lot of deer in the neighborhood. Um, I had some nice buck on camera at nighttime. So, you know, if something ever changes that the pressure's reduced enough that they're going to funnel through here in daylight, I mean, it's always on my radar. I've got a couple other deer that I'm really interested in this year at the main property that I hunt. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of figuring out how we're going to make it happen on, on some of those deer. Yeah. So well, let's circle back around to the podcast thing. Cause I was asking you all about the podcast yeah. stuff and then you just nonchalantly, yeah, shot 170 inch deer in Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> so I can't, I just, I can't let you get away with that. Um, so talking about podcasting and it's interesting, we recorded an episode earlier today, uh, on the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast. If you're listening to this, then you should definitely go listen to that episode. I think it's going to come out a couple of weeks after this one airs. Right. Probably. Uh, one of the questions that I had written before you ever asked me something similar, how has having your podcast changed the way you hunt? Or has um, it? I don't know. I don't know if it's changed the way I hunt. The, the thing that podcasting has done that I didn't anticipate, but it makes sense now, is it's giving it's given me the opportunity to speak with people that I never would have got to speak with otherwise. And therefore, I get to dive in, pick their brains, and, you know, you as a consumer, you're listening to this content, you're taking it in, I, I'm I'm driving that car, I'm the one in charge of it, and I'm able to take in so much stuff that makes me think outside of the box, or try to at least. So, I guess it's just given me new horizons in the way I think and the way I uh, interpret stuff in the hunting. I don't know that I've actually changed my hunting. I will tell you that doing a podcast, I've put a lot of a lot more pressure on myself to be successful during the hunting season. Um, you know, I don't hunt for anybody other than myself. I don't have to prove anything to anybody, but uh, I'm hard on myself and I'm trying to prove it to myself that I can do it. Now you add in that you're trying to have good content. You're trying to share that with people. Um, I have this complex that like, I need to, uh, I need to get it done so I can prove to myself and therefore I'm proving to everybody listening. And at the end of the day, it's not, it's, that's really not how it is. And that's, I don't think anybody really cares about that. I mean, my show is not about Mitchell Shirk. My show is about Pennsylvania and I just, get to be along for the ride kind of deal so it it's just it's just uh one more element of that mental game i think yeah isn't that weird though how that creeps in so fast like you know i i started my podcast the same way just to celebrate all that wisconsin has to offer and because i had just this real genuine curiosity being new to the state and i wanted to take in as much as i possibly could and you know, I, I love, I've always loved hunting podcasts. And so I've always just been mm -hmm. ravenous in, in consuming and consuming and consuming hunting podcasts. And then all of a sudden that boy, that pressure creeps in really quickly. And it's like, I've got to show that I belong here. 
uh, you know, and, and it's like, no, no, that that's not what the show's about. The, not, the show's not about Josh Rayleigh, the professional hunter. The show's about Wisconsin, Wisconsin's natural resources and all the opportunities that we enjoy here in the state. And, uh, but man, it's real quick where that pressure all of a sudden just kind of comes in and, and, and starts, uh, starts weighing down on you. Do you, what all has changed for you in the podcasting space as far as, you know, anything surprise you, the way you do things, the equipment that you use, you know, how, how has that evolved over, you've been doing it for a little more than a year now. How's that evolved for you since getting started? Uh, first of all, I would say when I, I'm, I'm a fairly technology illiterate person. Um, it's just been a learning experience trying to figure out how in the world to do this and do it efficiently. But what's been great is, you know, I have this awesome opportunity to do some episodes with Josh Raley and, uh, I've done some episodes with some other guys and I've been able to network with our team and pretty much everybody on the team has more experience than I do. And just bouncing back and forth the equipment that you use, how do you use it efficiently, you know, how do you navigate certain conversations. Uh, I mean, at first, like, you know, when you do an episode and I'd prepare for that episode, I really was was thinking ahead, like, these are the questions I'm going to ask, and I used to write things down. And I didn't try to keep it that it was like a, a, this structured you know, page by page question that I asked, but it helped me navigate the conversation if things got dull or if I, you know, got nervous or something like that. And, you know, as you go through that process, um, I think you get more comfortable in the conversations you have, uh, at least for me. And, uh, it's just different navigating that conversation. So it's a little bit more footloose, fancy free. And I think I'm able to have a fairly creative mind enough to uh, continue the conversation, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. For me, that's always been kind of the, the worry, right? It's like, man, I'm going to get halfway through this thing and I don't, I don't, I'm not going to know what to talk about, you know, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to know the next question that I want to ask the person or, or whatever that, uh, whatever the case may be. Now, my biggest fear is I'm going to take too much of my guest time because I want to keep some of them. I just want to keep talking to and keep asking them questions. I'm like, I don't, uh, your time is valuable. And I, I like, how long do you try to keep your episodes? Like I, I try to keep them to an hour if I can, but yep, like, that's my goal. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to turn somebody off, but I, I, I try to milk everything I get. If and some, you know, sometimes you have a guest that they don't mind talking and you know, you embrace that, but yeah, man, I've had a couple of guys on that, like, you know, they're, they're big name guys. They're the folks you see on YouTube. They're all, you know, mm -hmm. and they get talking and they're like, they're like, no man, we're good. We can do this all night. It's like, Whoa. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, let's, let's take it easy here. It's uh, yeah. but, but man, you get those guys on and they're just, you know, I think of like a Shane Simpson. I did an episode with him. It was one of my first episodes that I did. And the episode ended up being like two hours long. And the guy yeah. was just happy to keep answering and keep answering and keep answering. Yeah. Uh, Zach Farrenball was another one. I did a, a, a how to hunt deer episode with Zach or actually two different episodes with Zach. And man, we've got like three and a half hours deep into a conversation. And a lot of it didn't even make it to the podcast. We were just chatting. He's like, ah, I'm just glad to have a break from editing. Let's just talk, you know? And, uh, but, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, it can be tough, man. Trying to keep it, trying to keep it down to uh, the right amount of time so that you're not, taking too much of your guest time or, 
wasting too much of your own time when you should be doing something else. So let's talk about plans for the fall though, man. You, you mentioned that you've got a couple of deer that you're kind of excited to chase. Yeah, I, uh, I had a little bit, you know, I said about being a knucklehead with my uncle. Um, I love my uncle to death. I really do. And I have a great relationship with him, but we butt heads all the time. There was this one deer this past year that he said he wanted to let go. He said, I, I know he'd be a good buck. He goes, but I, I really want to see him make it another year. I'm like, hey, that's cool. And, and he, he kept saying, you shot a 170 the year before. You can let it go. And I could. It was just – it was one of those. It was uh, – my, my personal goal on a lot of the, the, the private land hunting spots that I have, I, I'm looking for a four-and-a-half-year-old buck or a deer, I believe that, or older. And this buck, we believed he was a four-year-old this past year, and my uncle was just like – I think he's going to make it. I think we've done enough to keep this deer on our property during daylight, and he's not going to get killed by somebody else. I, I want to run that risk. Is he kind of a homebody? So, uh, yeah, homebody, homebody-like traits. Um, we saw some shifts in him. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know the neighbors saw him, and some of the neighbors knew about him. Um, but he spent more time on our property uh, last year than he did the year before. And we've just continued to see a trend and we saw him in daylight a lot. Um, I had a, you know, one of our hunting buddies saw him twice, left him go both times. Um, I was, so there's, there's, there's three of three main guys that hunt. It's my uncle our one buddy and myself, and we're, we're a tightly, uh, tightly wound trio, I guess. And those two filled their tags in archery season. And last year I ate tag soup, but I hunted my tail off and, one of the unique seasons Pennsylvania has is our late season, which a late muzzleloader a lot of states have, but you can only use a flintlock muzzleloader in Pennsylvania. And um, it's a fun weapon. I actually embrace it. A lot of people curse it. I, I love it. Um, I want to be a better flintlock hunter, but I've never shot a buck with my flintlock. And that buck came out in a food plot the first week of season Um came out 50 yards in daylight and i'm sitting there and i'm like i'm letting him go uh, i mean i'm not I, it killed me it killed me and i uh i picked one of his sheds up this year and the other side matched and i don't remember what the shed scored anymore but i remember that he would have been like right at that 140 mark a little over 140 and i just thought what the heck am i doing i just passed the biggest buck i've ever passed in my life like what am i doing well now we've got some pictures of him this year and he's blowing up and it's it was the right decision it killed me in the, during the season when i'm eating tag soup but no there's that deer and there's a there's a couple others that were just good buck that made it through i mean i was i was hunting in late season last year and i'm like i had like four or five buck that i knew made it through our gun season i said i'm not going to shoot them because i don't they're not what i want but i'm like and we're going to have some candidates next year. And it was now we're starting to see some pictures of some good deer. And I, the, the one I left go is the one that is on my mind the most. Now that doesn't mean that's the one I'm going to target the most. I don't care which one of the three of us shoot it. I, you know, if, if my uncle or my buddy kill that deer, I will literally be just as happy if they kill it as if I do. Uh, but that's the deer that's on my mind the most. So it looks like he's, it looks like he's making a jump this year though. Yeah, like um, the pictures we looked at in June, I mean, I was first of all surprised how far along his antler growth was. 
But, I mean, his frame in June already looked like what his frame looked like in season last year. And I'm like, man, they got like a month or more to grow yet. Like, he's possibly going to put some serious bone on um, as far as, like, time length. I mean, his the, the spread didn't really change. He, he definitely gained more mass. Um, he had really short tines last year. I mean, the, the tines are actually what killed us. He, I think he had, like, 12 scorable points, but his tine length was real short. I mean, if he puts tine length on this year, I mean, that's going to be the difference between, you know, 140 and 160 on that deer. And, I mean, for that, that if, if that deer... If, if we would be lucky enough that one of us will harvest that deer, that will be the highest scoring buck that's ever come off of that property. And that'd be a heck of an accomplishment. I mean, I look at the blood, sweat, and tears that my uncle has put into that property um, since I'm a young kid. And I think about the evolution of our deer hunting and what it's come to and where that property's at. That would be like the capstone like so i'm I'm just excited i mean and there's a obviously a very really very real possibility that we won't kill him but we saw him on the hoof three times last year and you know we've got some strategies laid out and i, I think they're gonna there's there's a very likely possibility we will lay eyes on him again so yeah take that you, for what it's worth you know there have been guys out there who have you know kind of thrown out this theory over the years um, and a lot of these guys, I say theory because a lot of these guys are right there in the Midwest and kind of like the heart of big buck country. And they talk about as bucks get older, their, um, their core range, not their daylight or not their, uh, not their home range, which could be huge, but like their core area shrinks down over the years as they get older. Is that something that you guys have seen too, as you've watched bucks, you know, come up through the ranks? Somewhat, um, you know, it's it's kind of hard when you put it into perspective of the property size you have. Now, the the main property that I'm hunting is 280 acres, and that sounds like a lot, and it is a pretty good chunk of ground. But to I me, mean, you still you think about what a deer's home range is, and and what I was what I've seen is um, certain deer over the years just have trends of time where they spend more time in, in a certain area of the property over another. Um, this buck in particular, it just seems like last year, and we saw that trend the year before, that he spent some time the first half of the season in the eastern portion. Then he kind of gravitated, and we had some more pictures of him in the western portion. And then, you know, as the as the pressure wound up in gun season, man, we had pictures of him all over that property. It didn't matter where, but a lot of it concentrated in the center. I believe some of those trends we've seen with deer over the years is because I like to think we're doing it right and the pressure is kept low. Deer feel comfortable to be on that property during daylight hours because we're not overly pressuring them. And uh, I think that's why for Pennsylvania, we're still seeing deer get to an older age class on that area. I mean, the, the property we're hunting has a lot of features that would allow deer to get to their their next age class and that's just because of the monotonous uh woodland and the security cover that's on it but there's also a lot of hunting pressure that surrounds it and i know there was a time we didn't see older deer and we're starting to see more better deer and i think it's because we've changed a lot and the neighborhood has changed too but um i I would say i agree with that um 
I just think you see a trend one if, if you see a trend one year of a mature of a decent buck, you know, say you're following a three year old deer or you deer you believe is three years old, and he shows a couple of trends throughout the fall. Um, nothing about that tells me that's what he's going to do the next year, but I'm not going to forget about it because I've seen so many times then you see him as a 40-year-old. They do some really similar stuff at a really similar time. And then uh, if I've got two years' worth, um, I'm going to try to utilize as much of that as possible when he's a five-year-old and kill him. And that's where I'm at with this deer this year. Um, we've got for sure two years of pictures i think we've got enough information about the deer that we're at least going to come up with an educated plan for this year to to go after him um most of most of it just revolves around food plots and food plot timing but uh, there's certain portions of the property that it seemed like he spent more time on and i know it could all change but uh, i'm gonna go with what i know you know what i mean yeah absolutely so you you mentioned earlier um, that June is kind of a busy month for you, and you know July is really you know whitetail chore month. You know we're we're gearing up, we're getting cameras out and all that kind of stuff. Where are you at in your summer prep? So you obviously have a buck or two that you're after. Um, you've got 280 acres that you guys are all hunting on. Uh, where are you at in your summer prep? Are you coming out of June pretty behind, or are you right where you want to be? I am right where I always am behind. Um, <laughs> I am behind on everything. I am always a day late and a dollar uh, short. I love it. Um, yeah, it's like that every year, and I it's probably more like uh, just a mental thing for myself that I'm not as far along as I want to be. But no, the, the things we've done, uh, I I was able to help somewhat on a new food plot location. Like I said, everything's big monotonous woods if a food plot goes in it's because the opening was created by the bulldozer um so i was able to help on some of that job we didn't get it completely finished but we added more more space for food plots you know we did some tree cutting work um we did uh a a round of summer annual planting um i helped with you know facilitate that and you know we rented a drill and i got the seed and I, i plan i helped plan out what we were planning and why we were planning it, that sort of thing. Um, now I'm in the phases of, you know, treating our food plots like I would treat any other crop field, just making sure I'm it's accomplishing the goals I want. And if it's not, I got to figure out what to change next year. And then uh, we'll plan out our, our fall plots that are going in probably in that August time frame. So my mind is usually around food plots. Um, as far as the other planning that goes, um, none of my cameras are out. Um, you know, they put some of the cameras out that are at that property. And that's why I know those pictures. I have other places I hunt, you know, the state land that I talked about earlier in the episode and a couple other little private pieces. Um, I, I, I have, uh, three cameras that I've soaked from last year. I still have not got back to change those cards, change those batteries. And I, I've got all my stuff prepped and ready to go. I was supposed to go, do some scouting this past weekend at our cabin and um i i did some things to get ready but i could not get away because it was a family trip and i had the kids oh and yeah kids didn't the kids didn't cooperate in a way that made me feel comfortable leaving mom with the kids and i just didn't do it so that got postponed till next weekend that i'll do that and that's fine you know i i probably sound like i'm complaining and it's been a journey learning how to be a dad and also be a, 
uh, try to be a hardcore deer hunter in your mind, I guess, anyway. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's just been a journey, but, um, you know, there's that. And then you know, there's always tree stand prep. I mean, there's, uh, there's, I mean, uh, the main property we have is, I don't know, 25 stand locations. So making sure you've got clean access trails getting in and out, um, that aren't going to be noisy. Um, safety ropes are always something that takes a weekend of time, making sure you've got ropes in there's just always something. I mean, the list never ends of stuff in your mind you need to prepare for and doing season. And I mean, it, it just, yeah, that that's where I'm at a uh, day late dollar short, but got some plans, got some things I'm working on on the backside. And, uh, I've, I've done, done East scouting. I know some of the places I'm going to be going here in the month of July in that preparation, um, you know, and in every chance I get, if I, you know, maybe I've got a Thursday, I come home from work and, you know, my wife is at her parents with the kids, you know, I've gone up and just taken a walk and just taken some things in, taking a look at food plots, um, uh, scouted some locations, uh, did some spraying, you know, we've got invasive species on our property and just, uh, spraying some invasive weeds out because I know it's going to help me in the long run. Little stuff is, is typically how it goes because I've learned my time is not my own. So trying to prioritize is, is pretty important, but anyway. Yeah, man, that's huge. You, you said that you didn't get to, uh, didn't get to what you wanted to this past weekend because it was a family trip, man. I think you made a wise investment because I would rather go into the season having accomplished nothing that I was hoping to and just being like, you know what, this looks like a good spot on Onyx and I'm going to go after it. Uh, than to go into the season with a wife who feels worn out because I left her with the kids a bunch during the summer. Um, so yeah, man, I think you made a, I think you made a wise choice. Uh, well, dude, if I don't cut this short, we're going to talk all night long. Uh, and you're actually an hour ahead of me. So, uh, sorry to whoever is your boss and is going to have to deal with you tomorrow because, uh, you might end up late to work cause it, we're, we're pushing it pretty late, but man, where can folks go to, to find more from you to catch your podcast and all that good stuff? Uh, you could pretty much find us, uh, I believe all the same ways you would find Wisconsin sportsmen. Um, we are on sportsman's empire network and it's uh, Pennsylvania woodsman podcast. The, uh, you know, what is it? Google, Spotify, and iTunes or some of the other feeds that you can, you can find us on. And, I'm doing the best I can with the social media, man. I did zero social media prior to podcasting. And now we have the Instagram, Facebook page at Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast. And, you know, we post our information about the episodes and, you know, other stuff, you know, I'm an agronomist, as I said, so I spend a lot of time posting things that relate to deer hunting and food plots. And, uh, that's where a lot of that social media stuff has, has just been my way of, you know, hopefully helping somebody or giving somebody some, some thought and networking around. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit about us, but we put out weekly shows over there and, you know, it's, uh, anything from the deer hunting strategy we just talked a little bit about to, um, you know, we just did an episode with a nonprofit organization that takes kids out. Um, that have life-altering conditions and takes them out on uh, trips of a lifetime in the outdoors, and it's whatever they can imagine, um, from a, a turkey and a deer hunt to a fishing trip to, you know, you name it. So, you know, if it's relative to the Northeast and Pennsylvania, we talk about it. 
Man, very good. Very good. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh, I want to have you on again uh, sometime in the not too distant future to talk food plots. But, um, man, that pushes into the wee hours of the morning tonight. So it'll have to wait. Love to do it. Uh, Thanks again, Josh. I appreciate it. And that is a wrap for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Shout out to Mitch for coming on. Go check out his podcast, the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. And uh, big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, Deer Lab. Go show them some love. Until next time, get outside and make the most of the incredible resource we all have right at our fingertips as Wisconsin sportsmen.